Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside Connor Baltazar. And today, we're going to be previewing the upcoming matchup between the Texas Christian Horned Frogs and your Kansas State Wildcats coming up this Saturday at Bill Snyder Family Stadium. And let's dive right into the 2020 stats. Again, as always, I'll take the offense. They were 6-14 last year with a 5-4 conference record, 2,147 rushing yards, 5.2 per attempt, 23 rushing touchdowns, 1,963 passing yards at a clip of 7.19, 5 passing interceptions, a completion percentage of 60.1, 11 passing touchdowns, a third down percentage of 37.5, yikes, 23 sacks allowed, an average of 30.8 points per game with 308 total points allowed. So, what you'll notice there, rushing offense a lot better than passing offense in both efficiency and total points scored. Yeah, that's like one of the only remarkable things about their offense from last year, I would say. Uh, just how much better uh, their rushing offense was than their passing offense. Other than that, there's not really anything remarkable about their offense from last year. You know, they had a decent points per game average. They didn't give up a ton of sacks, but it wasn't necessarily a great amount. Their third down percentage was definitely below average, but like wasn't insanely bad. They didn't have a crazy amount of interceptions. They were just barely pedestrian, average. which I mean, <clears throat> six and four team that that makes that tracks. Yeah, yeah, that's about right. And then uh, defensively, they gave up twenty four point two points per game for two hundred and forty two points against them. They gave up two thousand two hundred thirty four passing yards, eighteen touchdowns through the air, one thousand two hundred seventy five rushing yards, nine touchdowns on the ground. Red zone percentage, they were 13 of 28 uh, defensively in the red zone. They had eight interceptions, four fumbles, 27 sacks, and a turnover, turnover differential of minus two. <clears throat> yeah, so defensively, pretty good. Now, they have a number of people returning from last year, including starting quarterback and leading rusher and passer from last year, Max Duggan. They're also returning two key running backs in Zach Evans and a Darwin Barlow. Quentin Johnson returns as their leading receiver. Ochuan Mathis returns as a defensive end and their sack leader. And their two starting quarterbacks, Travius Hodges Tomlinson, who was second in the nation in FBS and passes defense with 13, and CJ Caesar, a cornerback who led the team in interceptions. Yep. And they did lead, they did lose a few players. From 2020, uh, Garrett Wallow, uh, their leading tackler, linebacker, he was drafted. And then Trayvon Moerig, the safety, he was their third leading tackler, and he also was drafted fairly highly, as I recall. Yeah, so, second round. Yep. And then also they lost Dylan Jordan, who transferred to Northern Colorado. So Yeah. So, <laughs> looking at their schedule from this year, excuse me if you hear me lightly coughing, been getting over a minor cold recently they are currently they have three three they're three and four three and four three victories four losses their wins includes against duke uh, duquesne, duquesne i think i don't know why it's pronounced like that and why it's spelled like that but i'm 
fairly certain it's Duquesne. Duquesne. I don't have a better option for you. Yeah. So. <laughs> Duquesne, Cal, and Texas Tech are their victories with losses against SMU, Texas, Oklahoma, and West Virginia. Yep, and then uh, statistically this yeah, you year... you can take that, because I will die if I try. All right, I gotcha. Uh, they're 3-4 and four this year, 1-3 and three in Big 12 play. They have 1,514 rushing yards at 5.46 yards per attempt. Passing-wise, they have 1,639 yards at 9.25 yards per attempt, 15 touchdowns to 4 interceptions, and 14 rushing touchdowns. They're converting 51.06% of their third downs. 34.3 points per game for a total of 240 total points for them. And then points against, uh, 209. And their turnover differential is plus one. They have recorded nine sacks. And their red zone uh, touchdown percentage on defense is 60%. And they, uh, uh, they allow scores 85% of the time. And then on offense... The red zone touchdown percentage is 72%. They score on 100% of their red zone opportunities. <clears throat> I think the the thing that jumps out is that they're far more balanced this year. Yeah. Exceptionally balanced. They are almost within 100 yards uh, on rushing and passing. And touchdown difference is only one between passing and rushing touchdowns. And actually, if you take out the one passing touchdown thrown by a backup quarterback in garbage time, it is perfectly balanced. As all things should be. <laughs> uh, their third down percentage is excellent, uh, over 50%. That's really concerning. Uh, they haven't gotten a ton of sacks, which uh, their offensive stats are great. The defensive stats lacking a little bit more. That, that is, will become a theme. That is a common theme with this team. Which is weird. Yeah, and then it's kind of the antithesis of what TCU teams uh, have been, at least uh, stereotypically. And just looking back briefly at their schedule, most of their losses, they've beaten the teams that they should beat, and they've lost the teams that they probably should lose to. With the exception of West Virginia, which is just an aberration of a game, they lost at home to a not particularly great West Virginia team by uh, double digits, which is... Really strange, but they lost to OU, they lost to Texas, they lost to SMU. Like, yeah, SMU's good. Texas is, I think they're good. And then, uh, the world may never know. And then OU is OU. And then they beat Texas Tech, who is not great. They just fired Matt Wells. and they, forever. They beat Cal, and they beat uh, Duquesne. Like, so. Yeah. They're doing what they are expected to do, with the exception of the loss to West Virginia. Yeah. So now let's get into the specific game notes here. Again, two specific game notes before we go into the general themes. Offensively, the first game that we're looking at is Cal. I should mention that. Offensively, they ran for 271 yards at a clip of 5.42, 234 passing yards at a clip of 7.5, three passing touchdowns to one of the worst interceptions I've seen all year, Two rushing touchdowns, a 50% third down percentage, and three sacks allowed. And defensively, they gave up 133 yards and two rushing touchdowns. And they gave up 309 passing yards and two passing touchdowns. They got no interceptions, they <clears throat> had two sacks, and they got no fumbles. Yeah. So, for the notes, they used a lot offensively, let's start. They used a lot of unique and really interesting option looks in this game with... 
just a whole, just every type of option that you possibly could think of, they ran. Does that mean it worked? No, it does not mean it worked. Sometimes it failed spectacularly, but I give them credit for that uniqueness. Yep, and then also in this game, uh, both their offensive tackles, uh, they showed moments of amazing play. Uh, that's going to be common as well. Uh, they have a, Their offensive line is arguably their best unit. So, Yeah. Right. And slot motion was their favorite to use. I saw it used in at least four different ways. To set up the option, to flip a run fit, play action, or as a coverage indicator, which is just about every way that you could use that type of motion. Yeah, and this game against Cal, uh, Max Duggan's deep ball was really off, uh, especially in the first half. Uh, like I, I believe you earlier mentioned the worst, one of the worst interceptions that you've seen. It wasn't Honky. a deep ball. Oh, it wasn't a deep ball? Nope. It was so a it was pick just six on his own 10-yard line where he failed to read a safety coming down to pick up a flat. Oh, uh, that's horrible. <laughs> yeah, that's a Max Duggan moment. <laughs> that's a Max Duggan moment. He doesn't have a lot of Max Duggan moments this year, but that was... No, that, that's a classic Max Duggan moment. Uh, the first sack of the game wasn't actually on the offensive line. It was on a rollout that the tight end just forgot to chip the end, which is a very important part of the whole bootleg play design. Just didn't do it. Yep, and then uh, they also ran a lot of trips uh, in their offense that... Makes sense that they would. Uh, they're a predominantly spread team. Uh, it's a Doug Meacham, I believe, is their offensive coordinator, mm-hmm. and he's he's tried and true spread guy. So gonna see a lot of trips. Yeah, and Duggan's decision making was a uh, well, we'll we'll call it questionable to be generous. the The pick was probably the worst decision I've seen. It's not the worst decision I've seen all year uh, because I've witnessed the Jaguars hire Urban Meyer, but <laughs> it it was a really bad choice. Yeah, nothing, I don't think anything can top Urban Meyer being hired <laughs> as a football coach yet again. Absolutely not. Yeah, but yeah we can move into uh, defensive stuff now. Uh, the backers, they walked down to the line. They would occasionally play hand in dirt. Um, they mostly use this when they're bigger personnel on offense. Uh, that's pretty standard, I guess. Uh, like it's a nice little wrinkle they add because uh, they do have a, a four-man front, uh, I believe, right? They're four-two-five. Mm-hmm. They're three-three-five. Yep. Okay. And then they, they don't run that obnoxious three-high look as much, though. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they. Because we all know how much I yeah, love that look. Yeah, they're three-three-five, but they're playing uh, down. Uh, backers occasionally so it's not quite a four-man front it's like a three and a half man front i guess is the best way to put it so they do add a few extra dimensions to the defense yeah and uh strangely for a tcu team the zone discipline was really 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 atrocious this game to let you know how bad it was this is a team that Nevada's corners handled reasonably well. And then TCU just let them do that to them. Yeah, and this is a Cal team that does not have a good quarterback. Uh, He's, gosh, I forget his name right now, uh, but I've watched a couple Cal games this year. It's not worth remembering. Yeah, it's it's pretty bad. Uh, Oh, it's uh, Chase Garbers. 
Garbers. Yeah. He's he's not the best, <laughs> to put it nicely. Um, and also defensively, on the rare reverse slash counter, uh, they found themselves flowing to the wrong side, which maybe is just because this is early in the year, but it's still something to possibly keep an eye on. Uh, just we're not really a team that runs reverses, but a counter is something that is somewhere in the playbook. We've seen it before. Yeah. And their defensive line does not really seem to have a high motor on the whole. A lot of plays this game, it honestly looked like they were just kind of going through the motions, which I'm sure made Gary Patterson really happy. Yeah. Uh, there's one thing that Gary wants is a lazy defense. Yeah, that, that surely will please him. Uh, and then uh, this is the opposite of uh, D line, that is. That's the total opposite of the linebackers this game against Cal. They were playing with an absolutely insane motor, just complete polar opposite as the defensive line, which is kind of strange. Yeah. I've never seen like the duality of units go that hard. Also, um, CJ Caesar got picked on really, really, really bad this game. And it was by talent that it's not necessarily what you'd expect him to get. Because he got downright bullied this game. It was almost like they saw C.J. Caesar, who was this team's interception leader last year, and specifically pointed at him and said, we are going to bully you. And then they succeeded in bullying him. And then uh, one, this is one of two teams uh, that... Uh, we've seen run an outside corner blitz. Just out of curiosity, who was the second? Us last year. Us last year. Mm-hmm. Who was that? Do we remember? I have no idea. We just did it. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> um, I think this year I may have seen it run by like ASU or something. I don't know. But. It's not, it's not a particularly common thing. Um, and their most popular coverages this game were man coverage and quarters, which is just cover four. But that pretty much wraps it up for the Cal game. They ended up winning that game. Now let's talk about the Oklahoma game. Now I went in wanting to take notes on the Oklahoma game because... Connor and I both wanted to just see, okay, this was clearly an offensive performance that wasn't that bad. What happened on the defense? And we walked away with so many just general takeaways. But before we get into that, let's get into the stats specifically. It's worth noting that in this game, Zach Evans did not play due to injury, so it was up to his backup, Kendra Miller. But... They had 183 rushing yards at a clip of 4.9, 346 passing yards, 11.5 per clip, four passing touchdowns to zero interceptions, no rushing touchdowns, a 50% third down percentage, and zero, I repeat, zero sacks allowed. That is an excellent stat line for an offense. I mean, you can't really ask for much more than that, uh, which... Makes the result of the game just utterly depressing. Yeah. Because defensively, uh, they gave up 230 rush yards and three touchdowns. Yikes. And then 295 pass yards and four touchdowns. Yikes. Got no interceptions. 
they did get two sacks and they got a fumble. But wow, that's pretty awful. Like, yeah. I mean, I guess at least they're balanced in their terribleness. Like, I don't have much to say about that. They, they did get a fumble recovery, but that's about the only positive wow. they had on that. Yeah, day. that's that's awful stat line. Which now it makes sense why they lost this game. Like, despite that offense performance, they lost by twenty one. So. Yep. So. Let's start with the offense, shall we? The offensive line was really, really freaking good in just about every aspect. And that that's, that's going to be a theme we're going to talk about. Yeah. Uh, they took advantage of OU uh, just really being a poor tackling team this game. Uh, they... They really saw something that they were able to figure out. I mean, obviously, they had an excellent offensive performance, but they put their players in positions to succeed relative to that. Yeah. I already talked about Kendra Miller, number 33. They worked in a bit of an RPO wrinkle into this offense, which is not something they typically do. Typically, they have a play call, and they may run decoy routes, but it's not a true RPO. Yeah, and they used their tight end, number 84, Literally, I don't know his name because it's so inconsequential. Yeah, they, they used him as a blocker more this game. Uh, I'd imagine just because OU has a pretty athletic defense, so they just wanted a little extra blocking in there at times. Uh, but tight ends generally not very consequential in this offense. So Yeah, and I know a lot of people are not ready to hear what I'm about to say, including Connor when I told him this. Max Duggan was really, really good this game. Like, he actually earned that stat line. It wasn't just him throwing it up to Quentin Johnson, though he did do that a few times. He earned the passing touchdowns he got. Dare I say it, he's looking good. That's really depressing, and I don't like it. (laughs) So I'm just going to ignore it because I'm going to bury my head in the sand and pretend that Duggan sucks. Forever. He's, there's no way he can improve. I won't allow it. You won't allow it. It's that simple. (laughs) I say no, so he won't. No. Yeah. But, and the last thing, offensively, is they ran a wildcat look with the defensive tackle as a fullback, which is just kind of funny. Yeah. I mean. Teams do that occasionally, and I like it. Like, seeing, like, defensive linemen. It's like it's a play on offense a little bit. It's like, okay. Like that's they're having the time of their lives. Yeah, like I, I think about the Chiefs. I think they ran Wildcat with like Dontari Poe one time. Yep. That was funny. Kamahali. <laughs> yep. So, defensively, not much I can say that isn't just a theme. Run discipline was extremely poor this entire game, which as you can probably guess by the stat line. Yeah. Um, and uh, the secondary... They they couldn't tackle, and they did not react to the screen game very quickly. So Which uh, you may want to do against TCU. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, yeah. uh, you may want to do it against Oklahoma. Yeah, because they will destroy you on the, the screen game. Uh, that's kind of their bread and butter, like especially when Rattler was the quarterback, because they couldn't no, do a lot of... This game. Yeah, I was going to say, especially... I mean, especially when Rattler was, but like... They still do it with Williams, but rather ran a lot of screens. This is what yeah. I was trying to say. How do you think his completion percentage is so high? Yep. So, 
even when the D-line was getting through on runs, they just didn't tackle. And it's not even technique. I think it's just a motor issue. Only one person on their defensive line consistently shows a good motor. Yep, and then uh, this game, their coverage discipline was just absolutely awful. Ace, do you want to elaborate on this at all? Or is that just... that? Is... I... Normally, every team will have one or two plays where, you know, some receiver just gets behind them and they, they don't see him. That happens. This happened about seven times. <laughs> oh. And that's just what I remember. That's pretty terrible. And to quote is all caps, coverage, dis- or coverage discipline is normal, then all caps was remarkably terrible. <laughs> it's its its own unique method of bad. That's depressing. Yeah. But number 32, Oshawan Miller, was responsible for both sacks for TCU on this game, or just both sacks in general on the game. Is He's a defensive end, uh, so I'm assuming... He's the the one defensive lineman with motor yes. on this team. Yes. Which, does he play uh, right end? Cause Typically. Because I, I put him up on left tackle, right? Uh, well, depending on how you look at it. Depending on how you look at it, yeah. Does he line up on left or right? I tackle? think he switches. Okay, I was going to say, because if he's on BB, I don't care. <laughs> I think he might be on Duffy. Well... If I were them, I'd put him on Duffy. So, all right, guy. I know you normally play one position. <laughs> You're moving. Yeah, and then um, despite uh, mishaps defensively, to put it lightly, uh, this game is only a two-score game going into halftime, which is pretty remarkable considering just how awful their defense was in this game. So, yeah. So now let's move into the general takeaways. We'll start just general offense. They're a spread team. Yeah, they're a Big 12 team. May as well just replace those there. Ran by Doug Meacham. And the number one two things that I, the number, pardon me, the biggest things that I noticed were a lot of option plays from really unique and different looks, some of them involving wide receivers in the running game, and a whole lot of motion that's used in a whole lot of different ways. Now you get to talk about your favorite quarterback. Uh, Mr. Max Duggan. Uh, he's a legitimate threat on the ground as a ball carrier, uh, which we have kind of known. Uh, that's been his calling card over the last uh, couple of seasons because he wasn't fully developed as a passer by any stretch of the imagination. And but running was a thing where uh, he has speed. He doesn't have agility. No, he he's just fast. Yeah, he he has wheels. He's a straight line. He's a straight line sprinter. Anti Will Howard. He is the anti Will Howard. Uh, he also benefits a lot from TCU having very creative option looks on offense. Um, surprisingly, he has a lot of zip on his arm. I hate to admit it because he's got a good arm. I don't like it. It's unnatural. <laughs> uh, he's he has the ability to throw on the run. He doesn't do it a whole lot. Uh, his processor, it leaves a lot to be desired. Uh, what we mean by that is he's going to make one or two reads and then run. So he could be doing a lot more in terms of reading the field as a passer, but he does have the running ability. So I get it. But also now that 
it's kind of similar to Skylar in that sense. We're like, yeah. now that we're forcing Skylar to stay in the pocket more, he his processor's really improved over the last month or so. So Duggan maybe could benefit from something similar. Uh, his pocket presence is occasionally shaky, but generally okay. Uh, his weakest attribute is his deep accuracy. Which, yeah, that that's really... That's a pretty standard quarterback right there. Yeah. Like, like a standard above-average quarterback, which... <sighs> above-average. It, it sounds wrong to Let's say see, that Max Duggan... You can't just good. keep dumpstering on Max Duggan. I can't, because he's good now, and I don't like it. Especially because, so far, he's probably, like, the third-best quarterback we faced all year. Yeah, behind only uh, Carson Strong and Rattler. Yeah. So... And Rattler, I, he's the second best quarterback we face this year, and he still got benched. Granted, he coasts off of physical talent, but that's neither here nor there. So now let's talk about the running backs, led by number six. Yes. Zach Evans. Sorry, I still can't see him down here. And number 33, Kendra Miller. Zach Evans is a really good and surprisingly twitchy back, and he's definitely the lead back. Don't make any mistakes about it. Obviously, he has really good long speed. He has solid but not great vision. But one thing to note there is that his vision on outside runs is definitely a whole lot better than on his inside runs. I'd say his probably elite trait would be his contact balance because he just he doesn't like arm tackles. And if you do go for the legs, he will try to find a way to put his hand down and then cycle through it for a couple more yards after the fact. He's a good receiver out of the backfield, in part due to his twitch. Though his hands and route tree out of the backfield probably need a bit more development. However, Kendra is more of a complementary back in that he does a lot of the same things very well. He's definitely the more violent of the two runners, though. And he's a good re- receiver in the backfield, especially in the flats. And he's a lot better in the ball and space receiving game than Evans is. So Evans would be the type of person that you would want catching over the middle. Uh, Miller would be the type of person you want on the outsides. And he is, I don't know what it is with him, but he just activates like God mode whenever screen plays are active. I, I don't know what it is, like I said, but if he gets a slip screen, yeah, just say goodbye. That is really concerning because we seemingly have been giving up some chunk plays to halfback slip screens uh, ever since Big 12 play has started. Except for the times where Cody Fletcher yeah. is there. Yeah, the, the, only, the only time we don't is when exclusively Cody Fletcher <laughs> reads the screen as a thing that's existing. And literally no one else in the defense, except for like <laughs> Felix at like the last second, he's like, oh, oops. <laughs> but we can move on to wide receivers. Uh, they're led primarily by... Uh, number one, Quentin Johnson. Uh, he is a very large individual. He's six foot four, two hundred one pounds, and the very obvious number one receiver. He is a great jump ball threat uh, with good strength and run after catch situations. He has very strong hands and wins a lot of contested catches. Uh, don't try and weak press him. Uh, if you bump him, you really need to bump him. Like you can't just, you know, like. You need to borderline smack him. Like, like you, you need to hit him. <laughs> you need him. to pop him at the line, yeah. like with your hands. Yeah. And then he's a very good vertical route runner. Uh, he runs a lot of goes, posts, curls, etc. 
But when you get outside of that vertical route tree, he's not going to be able to do a whole lot else. Uh, then there's a head and shoulder difference between uh, Quentin Johnston and others on the squad. Both in terms of high and ability. Yep. Uh, it's a nice little pun, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Every other receiver generally is going to be smaller, like the 5'9 to 5'11 shifty playmaker. Unless you're Chase type. Curtis. Unless you're Chase Curtis. Shout so, out Pittsburgh High School. Yep, Chase Curtis. From... Starting quarterback for two years at our high school. Yep. Now plays receiver at TCU after playing Juco baseball. Literally Ty Bowman, except Ty Bowman didn't go to Juco yep. for baseball. He just immediately switched from quarterback to receiver. Did he go to uh, Chanute? Yeah, Ty Bowman went to Chanute. So. SEK represent. SEK out here in the Big 12. <laughs> the... Yeah, so can I take the offensive line and tight ends? Uh, yeah, I'll allow it. Yeah, because the tight ends are number forty-seven Car- Carter Ware and number eighty-four still didn't write down his number. They're so borderline inconsequential that I don't know what to say about them, other than they're like okay blockers. So, in an offense that typically runs four wide. They have okay blocking tight ends. Take it or leave it. Yeah, the, it is what it is. <laughs> yeah. So now, now let's talk about their offensive line. And I truly think, and this might be a hot take, I truly think that they have one of the best offensive lines in the Big 12 top to bottom. And I think they have the best tackle duo in the Big 12. And I'm not even really sure it's particularly close. And again, this may be a controversial take, and maybe I'm an idiot. But let's just go through the line here. I have no shot. Their left tackle, number 55, Obina Eze. Easy. Easy E. Easy? Easy. I don't know. I'm so sorry. He's not great, but he's not bad with his feet. He shuffles into his pass blocks rather than kicking. His hand technique, though, is remarkable. Like, he almost exclusively makes up for his relatively slower feet and his not necessarily great foot technique with his hand technique and the fact that he has long arms. And he's shifty enough to keep most rushers squared up to him. So although he's not a very good kicker into his blocks, he's someone who's really able to shuffle into position and keep rushers in front of him with his long arms. And his good lateral movement in the zone running game really helps him out here. And then you get into the their middle of their line, in which every position but the center is pretty commonly rotated. But the problem is, is that none of the people they rotate in are bad. They're all about equal and equally good. It's just one of those situations where they want to keep people equally fresh, kind of like we do with our defensive line but the starters at least on their depth chart are left guard john lands they run this position they rotate with him and number 77 brandon coleman both are solid not much to say steve avila their center number 79 he's probably their weakest lineman but he's not bad like he's not even bad by any stretch in fact i think He's like maybe one step or he's like a step or two above Noah Johnson. And in pass blocking, he's a couple steps. Um, 
Right guard, Wes Harris. He's a bit grabby, which I think is why he gets subbed out a lot more with number 69, nice uh, Coin McMillan. They're, he's a solid anchor, both are. And now, now we get to talk about probably my favorite player on this entire team. Uh, Andrew Coker, the right tackle. Book it. He's going to be an NFL tackle. Book it right now. He is a sophomore. And I'm saying everything that I'm about to say about him. The fact that he plays as well as he does as a sophomore is genuinely scary. He's better than BB. I was about to ask. Straight up. Better than BB. That's terrifying. Yeah. Granted, they both play different positions, left and right tackle. But he, it's not a, like a ridiculously wide gap. It's not like... Because both of them are equally talented. But... Coker is just a couple steps ahead of him. This man consistently... <clears throat> excuse me. He did not handle Nick Benito. He beat Nick Benito on every single snap. He beat probably... The best edge rusher in the conference that's not named Felix Anudike Uzoma. Every single snap that he played as a sophomore. I just want that. I just want that bit of information to be digested, because that's ridiculous. He has really quick feet, and he has a great kick step to the outside. He's a heady player who's always keeping his eyes up and handles stunts really well. His long arms neutralize any power that anyone might rush. And run blocking is good with lateral movement. That's probably the best on the team. Like, Andrew Coker is unironically the best player, not only on the offense, but on the entire team. I don't understand how... Which, granted, I know that, you know, people, like, people with draft stock don't get where, like, sophomore tackles don't get draft hype because he's not draft eligible yet. Because I think him and BB are technically the same age. Yeah, if they're both true sophomores, they'd be the same. So, so I... I... Uh, he's going to be an NFL tackle. And if he doesn't get taken in the second or first round, it, if he keeps the current trajectory he has and doesn't get taken in the first or second round, I will be truly shocked. word yeah so like yeah what i have to say is uh i would almost recommend not putting felix on coker because i think that coker wins those reps alternatively be really cool if what, felix be the clash of the titans like and what watch this i'm gonna say all this and he's just gonna get exposed for no reason i'd allow it like i literally watch four out of their six games coker doesn't get beat more than like once in all those games and then just he's gonna get exposed and come here i'd allow it i I would allow it i look like an idiot but i would allow it i think it'd be good if that happened actually (laughs) that's my opinion all right you can take their defensive play calling and d-line and linebackers too yeah that was a pretty long group uh, defensively, they're a three-three-five team. They go hybrid front though with hand and dirt rushers, like the three and a half person front. It's kind of a weird, 
we were saying. Yeah. Uh, they're typically too high safety team, so Ace didn't have to look at the ugly, awful, terrible three high safety look. It sucks. I'd imagine that was very reassuring for it you. It was. So I'm I'm happy for you. Thank you. Yeah. The defensive line, they're mainly just space eaters. They're not very good pass rushers. They're they're good space eaters. Yeah, but they're they're good at that. Yeah. And number thirty two, Oshawn Mathis is technically defensive end, but he plays uh stood up a lot. Kind of Khalid Duke, uh Y Hubert role uh, yeah. on the K State offense except he's on TCU. My linebacker, they're led by number thirteen, D Winters. Uh their linebackers play fast and they're pretty disciplined against the run. Uh they're not awful in covers. They're also pretty good tacklers. I wish we had them. And, uh, as blitzers, though, they do leave some to be desired. Uh, if they get touched by an offensive lineman, they're they're screwed, basically. Gone forever. Gone forever. <laughs> I love that video so much. But I'll take defensive backs, and uh, it's, it's another long one. They're quarterbacks. In fact, it's so long that I'll let you take safeties. All right. Um, their quarterbacks, are at least they're big two, are number nine, C.J. Caesar, and number one, Travis Hodges Tomlinson. So, okay, this may sound weird, but both of them suck. <laughs> yes, I'm including the guy who was second last year in PBUs in FBS. I'm saying he's not good. Now, may I say that is it possible that he was second in PBUs because he was being picked on? Yes. That's probably what it was. He was being thrown out so much, he just had to break some passes up. By pure volume. Yep. So, uh, CJ Caesar gets picked on very easily horizontally, meaning that if you're going to run horizontal routes like goes, I mean, not goes, that's the exact opposite of a horizontal <laughs> route, like drags, slants, ins, outs, he's not going to be able to stick with you. Both are absolutely atrocious in contested catch situations. You know how everyone bullies Julius Brents, yet they're worse, like considerably worse, because Brents is just like a like an inch off of making a great play. They just don't even get that close. They both fail to get hands on in man coverage, which is literally the second most important thing to do in man coverage. The first being a be in the hip pocket of the receiver at all times, which granted vertically they're good at and they're, they're just downright atrocious in zone coverage though especially running the quarters they're the reasons why people get behind them because they're not playing deep enough in their quarters look and they're bad tacklers too if you want to pick one thing that's good about their game is their recovery speed and athleticism and you should you should always bet on the athletes because they can figure out the mental side of the game more than someone who has the mental side figured out can pick up the physical side. But right now, as quarterbacks, they just leave a whole lot to be desired and can get picked on very easily. Yep, so that should be mouthwatering to Courtney Messingham and the K-State offense that has recently discovered the art of passing the football. Courtney Messingham on his way to run A-gap power 85 times this game. I 
rather he not. <laughs> Honestly, though, it wouldn't be the worst thing. Like, it really wouldn't. Still wouldn't be the worst game I've seen him call. <laughs> yeah, but... This is not a mess-hate channel no, anymore. This is, this, is not a, this is not a mess-hate channel. The agenda is dead. <laughs> uh, then at safety, they have number 20, LeKendrick Van Zant, and number 7, TJ Carter. They're solid safeties in the system they're asked to run. They're decent in their zones, but they can be baited into playing a little too low. TJ Carter also doubles as their slot guy, and he might be the best corner in that situation. Yeah, whenever he's playing nickel corner, he's better than both of their starting outside corners. That's very depressing. Yeah. <laughs> it's great for us. Love to hear it. I mean, like, granted, we were kind of the same, except for A.J. Parker was just exclusively our nickel corner. Yep, and, like, he was only moved to nickel out of necessity. Like, he was, like a boundary corner at the beginning of the year and then everybody got hurt and we said well we have to have a nickel corner so let's just have aj parker play there well you don't want ross elder in nickel corner i'd rather not (laughs) (laughs) so play calling wise offensively this is short and sweet offensively they love options and and uh chunk plays those are their two favorite things take defense yeah on defense they love blitzes, they love man coverage, and they love quarters. They even like sending the outside corner on blitzes, which is really weird to do. Please run into Cooper, baby. It, yeah, it's, please, it's, please. Yeah, it's not that weird to do it like once in a blue moon. No, they do it a lot. Yeah, it's weird to do it a lot. It's, it's weird to enjoy blitzing your outside corner, which granted, if they're that bad in coverage, maybe they're more useful doing that. CJ Caesar is actually a surprisingly good blitzer. Yeah, maybe, maybe he's more useful blitzing than he is covering. Yeah, I don't know if that's a skill you really want in your outside corner, but he can do it. You'll take it. Like You won't say no. You're never looking for that. That's a, probably the last thing that you would be looking for was, you know, can our outside corner blitz? Like, can Echo Boydo <laughs> be the right tackle in a one-on-one situation? I don't think Echo can. I think CJ, if given the opportunity in 12 years, probably could. Well, Julius Brents do it. Anyway, <laughs> so now let's go into the stories to watch going into this week. First things first, can we take advantage of TCU's atrocious team defense, especially in the passing game? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's the short answer. Uh, the long answer is... For sure. Because <laughs> like, TCU's defense is very bad. Maybe we're going to be eating crow uh, the beginning of next week. But I don't know. Every, all signs point to their defense just not being good. It's not even like our strengths playing to their weaknesses. Everything is their weakness. So, yeah. like, they don't do anything that's useful well. Like, CJ Caesar's a good blitzer. Okay, he's an outside corner. I don't care. Like, <laughs> Like, like, that does nothing for me. Like, be good at something useful. They've decided not to do that. Man. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. We should be able to dice them up in the passing game with uh, the new and improved Skylar Thompson. And the, the new model we got. Yeah, and then the new and improved running game. Well, actually, it's not improved. It's yeah, not even it's new. It's kind of worse. <laughs> yeah, it actually is worse. It should have a good game, though. Deuce and Joe, they should uh, uh, have a pretty solid game. And we may even see Jacardier. <laughs> no, we're not going to see Jacardier. I like to be hopeful. but I miss you, Jacardier. 
I do miss Jacardia. We're never going to see him again. So I, I'm looking forward to see what Max school he transfers to next year. Forever, yeah, I salute you, sir. He'll be at Ball State by this time next year. Don't say that. <laughs> you got next question. Yeah. Uh, how will K-State handle the true dual threat nature of Max Duggan? Because the last true dual threat quarterback that we faced was probably Spencer Sanders, and look where that got us. Pretty not great. Yeah, pretty bad, honestly. Yeah, that, that is concerning. I, I will be honest. Uh, how K-State handles it? Scheme-wise, I am wondering... <laughs> I don't have an immediate answer for that. Uh, there are ways that they could do it, but I'm not sure if what ways they will. Yep. Uh, I'm I'm not sure. What do you recommend here? <laughs> um, I'll just put you on the spot. Oh, no, 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 it's fine. What I'd recommend is probably just picking one random player every single play to just play as a QB spy or in a hook zone basically have a dual responsibility so the moment because max doug is he can throw on the run but he just chooses not to the moment that you see max duggan tuck the ball if you're in a hook zone he becomes your guy it does not matter what's happening in your zone that's how i'd coach it this week anyway i'm not the coach though i mean that sounds pretty reasonable alternatively let's just have felix get 10 sacks I think Acceptable. We should, I, I think we should coach that this week. Tyron Tolini coming in to get another yeah. sack. Yeah, this week's game plan is Felix gets 10 sacks. That's it. It's that simple, honestly. Yeah, and one game he breaks the K-State single season sacks record. <laughs> I, I, would, me. I would allow it. Once. Once. So the next big story will be Julius Brent versus Quentin Johnston. Who wins the most? out of that affair and that's actually going to be really interesting to watch yeah because both are 6'4 yep. both are about 200 pounds I think Brent has longer arms at least for the love of God I hope he has longer arms because yep. if Johnson has longer arms holy moly <laughs> yeah, that, that'd be tough because Johnson is exceptional in contested catch situations uh, especially just when he has size advantage, which normally as a receiver at 6'4", you're going to have size advantage on almost any corner that you face. Julius Brents is like the 99th percentile, like in terms of like size for cornerbacks. So it will be interesting to watch. Uh, Size-wise, uh, I think we match up really well with him. Uh, I'd be interested to see how Echo would match up with him. See, I think that is the only situation... In which I could see Echo being thrown at is a remotely good idea because Echo is only six foot. Yep. And that four inch difference can make a big difference. That is true. Especially with a well placed ball. So well, and Max Duggan. Ma- Max Duggan. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see what Max Duggan we get. If we get the new Max Duggan or the old Max Duggan. Regress to being at K State. I mean I would allow it. But once. Once. <laughs> So, yeah, keep an eye out on the Julius Brents quentin Johnston matchup in K-State secondary. Another thing to look at going to this game is can K-State contain Zach Evans and Kendra Miller? God, I hope so. Maybe? Maybe. Because if, uh, if Evans gets to the second level, we're not catching him. Going forever, not coming back. 
Uh, Kendra we have a better chance at, but he is really a violent runner. He's like a slower Joe Irvin. Yeah, when you were describing him, uh, uh, everything that was being said reminded me of Joe Irvin, just such a violent runner, with the exception of the receiver ability. Uh, that's something that we haven't really seen Joe Irvin do. He hasn't really been asked to do it. So Yeah. But yeah, that will be an interesting uh, story to watch. Uh, Cam Casey contains Zach Evans and Kendra Miller. The, on the running backs alone, I'd say theoretically yes, but their offensive line is so good that just completely uh, balances the equation there at minimum. So it's going to be interesting to see because uh, this offense from TCU really is great. So it's going to be a tall task for the, the K-State defense. Yeah. Then uh, will this game end up as a shootout? Yes. Yeah, I, I think it will. It's that simple. You have TCU's great offense and their awful defense going up against K-State's not very good defense as of late and their uh, offense that will take advantage of a bad defense. Yeah. Is how I will describe it. Yeah. So this should be a shootout. I don't see why not. Yeah. So... Can K-State's interior line keep the TCU line from eating up space? I'm now realizing that is a very poorly worded question because it implies that they literally have to like slice a bit of the <laughs> defensive line off. But basically what I mean is can we keep the defensive linemen only eating one gap instead of two? Um, I like to think that we can, especially if their motor isn't particularly high. Like, I know that uh, Noah Johnson and Ben Adler aren't, like, the most incredible interior offensive line by any stretch of the imagination, but their defensive line is not particularly great already, and their motor is really low. They're not Texas Tech levels of atrocious, but they... They aren't good. No. So, if there's a good matchup for our interior line, uh, this would potentially be one of them. So, uh, I, I'd like to say yes, but we'll see. Yeah. Then, two questions that are kind of on the same side of the coin. Does TCU continue their skid? Or does K-State start a winning streak? That is something to... Look into. I'll I'll save my answer for score projection. I will simply be telling who wins because I will be conscientiously objecting again. Yes, it that, worked for us last time. That is true. It did work. Um, last thing is, uh, most importantly, can K State keep the TC, the games versus TC winning streak alive? I will save my answers for score projections. So, now let's get into projected offensive and defensive MVPs. I'll go first on offense. I'm going to take Tyrone Howell, because who's our best contested catch receiver? That would be Tyrone Howell. Allegedly. Is their defense really bad at contested catch situations? Yes. There you go. Therefore... Tyrone Howell. Or, you know, watch it come out of nowhere 
and Cade Warner suddenly decides that that one route that he ran against Texas Tech is going to extend all of his route tree, and suddenly he's the best route runner in the Big 12. Seth, the triumphant return of Seth Porter begins <laughs> against TCU. Jump ball situations, 5'8", Seth Porter. My offensive MVP is Skyler, uh, just because their corners are awful, and... It's basically the same reason as you picking Howell, except I just think Skyler's going to spread the ball around a lot rather than target Howell. That That's just what I think is going to happen. I think Tyrone being targeted more is almost as likely, if not equal. I think he should be a big part of the game plan this week regardless, but we will see. Yeah. And defensively, we both picked corners. I picked Julius Brents because he's the only one size-wise that matches up to Quentin Johnston. And other than Max Duggan, which I think will be a team effort to contain, the most important individual performance will come from Julius Brents versus Quentin Johnston. Because if we take away that big play element just by playing close man coverage, all they have is options. And we can contain option with a three-three-five. Yep, I went with Echo, uh, just because. While the rest of their receivers aren't incredible, if Julius can even be solid against uh, Quentin Johnston, Echo is going to be relied on for whoever the next guy is, and if Johnson's going to be covered. Uh, by Julius, uh, and if it's going to be effective coverage, they may start looking Echo's way. I'd imagine they probably wouldn't, especially if Johnston isn't on him. But Echo needs to shut down an entire side of the field to make things easier. Uh, just Echo. I, I also think there may be situations in which he gets lined up on Quentin Johnston. Uh, I'd imagine that we're going to stay away from that just because of the size disadvantage. But I like Echo's cover skills, and, I mean, who doesn't? Well, we know. (laughs) We know who doesn't. But Echo, uh, I'd be really interested to see him matched up with Quentin Johnston. I think he would cover him not... He wouldn't match up as well physically, but I think that he would play lockdown coverage, uh, at least in staying on him and staying on his hip. So Echo, I think, is going to be indispensable this game, just as much as Julius Brents will. Yeah. So, score projections. As I said earlier, I will be conscientiously objecting, but I do think the Cats win. I'm good. I think the Cats also win. I think they win in a close game, a shootout, uh, a shootout for K-State standards, 38-35. I think that we're going to win uh, I think we're going to win this game based on just we're going to have to slow it, we're going to have to slow the pace of the game down we want to keep the ball in Max Duggan's hands it's going to be very tempting to just eviscerate their defense I feel like <laughs> because it, it, it won't be exceedingly difficult to do that at least in theory but you may be wrong but KSA should be able to take their time move the ball down the field at a solid pace just be slow and 
you know, take take what they give you, which will ideally be a lot. But <laughs> in a perfect world, yeah. Yeah, and then yeah, just cats by a field goal, because it's gonna be tough for the defense to stop TCU's offense. But ultimately, it may just come down to who has the ball last in this game, which is interesting for a K State game. You wouldn't normally think of them as being on the wing side of a shootout. Yeah. But as bad as TCU's defense is, this is a perfect opportunity for K State to win in a shootout, and also with their newfound passing prowess. So. Yeah, that came out of nowhere last week. Yep, and and also reared its head against OU. So, to to be fair, but yeah. As porous as TCU's defense is. Yeah, I hope we take advantage of it. Hopefully so. So, this wraps up this preview episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. If you want to follow the show, we are at Aggieville A Cats on Twitter. That's capital A, capital A, and capital C in cats. If you want to email us, we are Aggieville Alley Cats at gmail.com. If you want to follow us on a more personal note, I'm at ACEdwards00. And I am at Connor Balthazor, capital C, capital B. If you're looking to support us in a more financial way, number one thing, we're looking for sponsors. So if you're looking for a sponsorship for the Aggieville Alley Cats, we 100% will welcome it. Shoot us a DM, send us an email. We are actively looking. So we'd love to partner with you. Let us know. Absolutely. But if you're just the average person, and if you want to support the show in a financial sense, please be sure to check out our merch store. We have such designs as Neon Alley Cats and Play Sandstorm Cowards. But most of all, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. Stay safe, Alley Cats.